Welcome back, baby. The first podcast of 2022. It's been a while. I'm excited, excited to be back. I mean, it hasn't been that long. It's been about two weeks since I've recorded my last podcast. I, I took a nice, nice break to step back and celebrate Christmas, New Year's. Went over to to France to see my girlfriend and her family and I feel like I got some distance and I feel like I got some good perspective on what I'm doing with the podcast, where I want to go with the podcast as a creative, as a person, as a partner and I really need that time. I really need that time to myself to reflect and to just hang out and be with other people because that is precious time. That is something that we don't always get nowadays. And I don't always feel like I can allow myself to get, especially in a city like New York, because it's always that constant pressure to work, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. If you're not being productive, you're not a person. If you're not turning something in, you're not alive. If you're not you know, in the office, do you even have a pulse? You know, who are you outside of what you do? And it turns out that we're all somebody. And that doesn't depend on what we do. It depends on who we are. And it sounds like bullshit. It sounds like, you know, some Instagram post telling you to be one with yourself. And and it's it's true though it's you you need to take the time i i'm, I'm a, i don't want to say you need but i need to take the time to really take a step back and and figure out who i am away from my work away from my job away from podcasting and really tap into that and so i feel refreshed i, f- I feel like i i i'm excited i i am excited for 2022 for what podcasting brings, and I'm excited to be here with you for the first episode. And to start this episode off, I want to bring a quote to mind, a quote that helped me during this time of reflection. And I came across this quote in the book, American Gods by Neil Gaiman. And I wrote it down on my whiteboard. And so I'm going to read the quote from there because I am a whiteboard addict and I, I have four right now set up in my workspace slash workout space, but that quote is, you never learn how to write a novel. You only learn how to write the novel you're on. And that is by Gene Wolfe. And that was advice that writer Gene Wolfe gave to fellow writer Neil Gaiman, and he included that in the intro to American Gods. And I adapted that for myself And I wrote beside it, you never learn how to record a podcast. You only learn how to record the podcast you're on. And so when I was reflecting around the holidays, around New Year's, one of the thoughts that kept entering my mind is, or was rather, so much of my suffering and so much of my anxiety around podcasting is it has to do with the fact that I think I finally found the perfect formula to record a podcast. I think I finally tapped into 
perfection for this is how I research a podcast. This is how I write out the notes in a specific format. This is how I record it. This is the perfect setup. Okay, I found the perfect setup. Now let me apply this to every podcast I do from now until the end of time. And then the next podcast I record or the one after that or the one after that, my concept of what the perfect podcast is and how to record a podcast is completely shattered. And when I read this quote, you, you never learn how to write the novel that you're on, or you never learn how to write a novel, you, you only learn how to write the novel you're on, I immediately thought of podcasting, and I thought, holy fuck, holy fuck, it's not a burden that the podcast, the quote-unquote formula for podcasts keeps changing. It is an opportunity to flash my creativity and to do the best I can with each guest or each solo episode under those circumstances because my consciousness is constantly changing. I'm having different guests, different setups, different locations, uh, different topics, remote versus uh, in-person podcasts. All of this constantly is changing. And with all these changing systems and all these rotating parts, how could I possibly you know, find a perfect podcast formula. It doesn't exist. And so I, I I wrote it down because I want to remind myself that it's not about finding the perfect formula. It's about finding the perfect way to record this podcast right now. And this podcast right now is being recorded on my phone with a with a microphone for audio, my phone for video. And I have these notes in front of me. Maybe I'll record solo podcasts outside. Maybe I'll record the next guest podcast outside. I'll do it in my studio. Maybe I'll do it remote. Maybe it'll be a different topic. That's not today's business, though. What What is the, the only thing I have to worry about today? Um, the only thing I should worry about right now, not even today, just right now, is doing the best podcast I can with what I have. And so the first topic that I have prepared for today is a quote by Elon Musk on garbage collection for laws on Mars. A quote by Elon Musk, or, or rather a, a conversation with Elon Musk and Lex Friedman on the Lex Friedman podcast about Mars and the laws systems that will be set up on Mars once we are populating Mars and the system of garbage collection. And so let me explain because that can mean a million things depending on how you take it. You know, is it actual garbage? What, what are we talking about? And so to set up this, this idea from Elon Musk, Lex Friedman had Elon Musk as a guest. Uh, I believe this is the third time on his podcast and go check it out for yourself. This is, uh, I'm recording this on January 15th. 2022 and so just go to the last uh the most recent elon musk episode on the lex friedman podcast and you can find it for yourself so lex friedman and elon musk are talking about the system of government what it should look like on mars what laws should be brought into effect how things will be enforced you know all these things that you need to think about when you set up another government especially on another planet because you're not going to be connected to earth in the way that you know new york is connected to the united states that martian law will be its own thing 
And one thing that Elon Musk brought up that he believes Martian law should have that the U.S. legal system doesn't have or, or, or it's it's not good right now is the idea of garbage collection of old laws so that in addition to focusing on the creation of new laws and, and new freedoms and new legislature, we should also be actively collecting old laws and archaic laws that don't work well. We should be actively getting rid of those more than we already do. And, and, and we should be on guard for getting rid of these old archaic you know, everyone knows, uh, if you look up right now, old laws that don't make sense or funny laws, there, there are these laws that were created 100, 200, sometimes 300 years ago that still exist. And even though they aren't enforced, it creates this mess of system of, of new laws because if you never collect old things that don't work, especially in a legal system, you will you will have new laws that people want integrated into a poisoned foundation. You, you got to clean the shit out that doesn't work. And, and I'm not saying that the American government doesn't do that at all. I'm not a, a, an expert at law and that, you know, not even close. But what I am saying is that it doesn't seem like there's a huge emphasis on getting rid of laws and, and you know voting on the laws that we should get rid of you know we should have to actively vote to keep laws just like we actively vote to enact new laws I, I feel like there should be a sort of voting platform for out-of-date laws and if people and, and if enough people vote on these laws uh, to be redacted, then they will be redacted. And if not enough people vote on them to be redacted, then, then, then you keep the laws. But that is something that Elon Musk was talking about in terms of this new Martian law system. Whenever we get to Mars, that there should be more of an emphasis on garbage collection and, and getting rid of the old as well as bringing in new laws. We, we vote laws in and vote laws out, and we should do that better than what we do right now in the American legal system. And that got me spinning because I am, again, I, I'm not an expert on law. I can't really comment in a specific way on how the legal system works uh, from a technical standpoint. I wouldn't be a good person uh, nor would I be qualified to recommend a system of, of Martian law that will be done by someone, you know, very smart and intelligent and creative in creating new legal systems. And I suspect that person who creates, uh, you know, that the Thomas Jefferson of Martian law may not even be a politician in today's legal system. They may come from outside it because it's, you know, why would you want someone with the already biased view of being in the American legal system create an entire new set. You, you'd probably want someone who knows the law 
to an expert level, but is also outside the system where they can have some third party objective perspective on how to create that new legal system on Mars. And so I'm hearing about all this law and I'm hearing about the legal system and, and I'm trying to apply it to something that I'm familiar with, something that I know, something that I can hook into because it, it, it was such an interesting concept. I'd never thought about garbage collection in that way before because we're always hit with the new, what's the new thing? What's the new thing? You know, the new car, the new iPhone, the new update. What's, what's the next thing? And it's not sexy and it's not popular to talk about getting rid of the old. It's not sexy to detract. It's sexy to add that new feature. It's sexy to add, you know, this is how I'm going to change America by adding Obamacare or, the new legislation act, whatever it is, this is the new thing that's going to fix it. You know, when's the last time a president ran on, um, his entire platform was, you know, I'm going to go through the legal system and take away things that don't work step by step. And we're going to do it, you know, properly that it, it, it's great, but it's not sexy. We're, we're pressured to always add new things and to upgrade and you can actually upgrade by getting rid of things too. And so when I was, hearing Elon Musk talk about the law, I was thinking about my own habits and how we're in a time. And when I say time, I mean literally like the year, the time of the year um, around New Year's, New Year's resolutions. We're in a time where people are adding things to be the new year. The new year, new me. I'm going to go to the gym four times a week, even though I haven't been in four years. I'm going to be a keto, paleo, intermittent vegan. Don't ask me what that means. Just use my correct pronouns. I am not going to use plastic in 2022, except for when I drink coffee or straws or, you know, buy anything. New Year's, New Year's resolutions. I'm, I'm making fun of New Year's resolutions, but I, I think they have a lot of value and it, it, New Year's provides this external momentum to the entire population across the planet. And you should use that momentum. It's an energy, you know, use it for your own goals. People are like, people shit on New Year's resolutions where it's like New Year, New You. You can do that any day of the year. I think, you know, if the entire planet's on this wave, why not take that external wave, that external energy and and use it and apply it to your own life? So I actually think New Year is a great time to make changes and and it's a great time to step back, like I said, and then, reevaluate but for my new year's resolution i didn't make a formal new year's resolution but if i was going to provide a framework for my new year's resolution i'm i'm always thinking about adding things and adding the next new thing i would like to have some sort of garbage collection system for my own habits and maybe i'll do that next year maybe i'll do it later this year but to actually write out my habits and my routine 
and go through them step by step and habit by habit and say, okay, is this old? Is this archaic? Is this outdated? Does this, is this making me better on a daily basis? Does this provide me any value? Even if I'm not, you know, making more money from it or becoming more disciplined, do I get value out of this with leisure? Is this a good time? What is this? And to just go through each habit and not thinking about adding, but just cross out, you know, I tried journaling for six months. Wasn't for me. Cross it out. I tried afternoon workouts. That wasn't for me. Cross it out. Maybe move it to the morning instead of journaling. I uh, tried jerking off to erotic podcasts. Ah, that worked. Leave it in which is something I actually tried and I highly recommend it. If you feel yourself, you know, if you want an alternative to porn, there's your imagination, imagination station. Um, And there's also this, you know, really great podcast I came across called Dear Nikki that is an erotic podcast and she reads people's sexy experiences. And you, you, I, I feel like I'm reading a book instead of, watching a movie like when when I watch porn I feel like I'm watching a movie and my my imagination doesn't have to work it doesn't have to do anything but when I listen to an erotic uh podcast I, I feel like I'm reading I feel like I'm getting smarter I'm like jerking off and I'm like oh my god all these images and creativity and imagination that like these things are just popping into my head I'm hearing the words and I'm feeling in the I'm filling in the sexy blanks and um you know, sounds, you know, kind of weird, cringy, maybe, but a lot of people struggle with porn. I, I didn't necessarily think of myself as someone who struggled with porn. I'd, I'd, and I don't really uh, watch a lot of it, especially in a relationship, but I do enjoy jerking off. I'm in a long distance relationship right now, so I do spend a decent amount of time away from my partner. So I wanted to experiment with some things for me time. And this Dear Nikki podcast, shout out to her. You know, I'd love to have her on the podcast. I believe she's anonymous. I don't think she gives her uh, full name because of what she does. But yeah, go check it out. Experiment with that. That's a habit that I would keep. So, you know, maybe porn didn't work for you. Cross that off. Slide in some some audiobooks, some, some erotic stories when you're in the adding mode. But right now we're still detracting. So, you know... Think about maybe intermittent fasting. You tried that for eight months, try that for a year. It just doesn't, it's not you. Maybe take that out. You tried keto, take it out. Um, You know, you tried waking up at 5 a.m., gave it a shot, cross it out. You know, look at, I I need to, and I know I would like to, and I, I will, I'll hold myself accountable. I will go through my habits, write them out, and really think about them. And And I've done this, before I haven't made it a huge event where I'm sitting down and crossing out my habits, but I have went through habit. I've I've went through certain habits. Like I used to journal every morning for three plus years, and and it brought me a lot of clarity, and it brought me a lot of discipline. And building a morning routine. And then after, you know, the two and a half, three year mark, I really felt like I was turning into a robot, just writing 
things that I didn't feel. I, I, I really didn't feel like I was present. I didn't feel like I was getting what I needed out of it. Like when I first started, I felt very robotic. And so I took a step back and I stopped journaling. I, I still meditate in the mornings. I stretch out. Um, and I replaced that with listening to French podcasts because I'm trying to learn French to speak to my girlfriend's parents. But yeah, I mean, go through it, subtract, do some garbage collection on your habits, see what works for you. See, even if it's crazy or wild, be creative with it and, and don't, um, don't overwhelm yourself. If you cross out a habit, you know, don't try to add three, just you, you could take that out and see how you fare with one less habit, one less thing to do. You could add one thing, but you know, don't, um, to treat it like an experiment. And going back to the quote at the beginning of the podcast, you learn how to write a novel. Uh, you never learn how to write a novel. You only learn how to write the novel right now. Same thing with habits. You know, you never really learn the perfect habit structure. You you just learn the perfect habit structure for today or maybe for this month. But that doesn't mean that you find the perfect structure. It's going to stay with you forever. Shit does not make sense. You got to feel it out. You got to feel it out. So the next thing I want to talk about is a conversation that I had with my Lyft driver. I was in a Lyft going from my house uh, or or my parents' house, rather, back to my apartment. And this was a few weeks ago before the holiday time. And I wrote an Instagram post about it. I, I just, I, f- I felt the need to write something about what happened and, and my, to set this up, the man who was driving me home, we had a long conversation for about an hour and a half, really exciting, you know, learned a lot about him. His name is Daryl. And one of the things that he told me is that he's never going to fly. He hates flying. He has an intense fear of flying and that he's never going to fly. His family's try to get him to fly. He plans on going on an RV trip across the country because he has never been on a plane except once when he was on a grade school trip and he walked inside a plane, but he's never flown. He's also a huge Cowboys fan, which will be relevant. And yeah, so I had this conversation and he told me he'd never fly and then the conversation continued. And so I wrote a little bit about the conversation on an Instagram post, which you can see at Ogzoro and it's called On Flying. On Flying. I had a conversation with a guy named Daryl who picked me up in a lift. He took me from my parents' house in Long Island back to Brooklyn, about a 90-minute ride with traffic. Normally, I take the train, but I had some hefty luggage with me, and I felt like treating myself. Daryl and I spoke about his job as an accountant. We spoke about football, race, snowboarding, and I enjoyed the engaging ramble of conversation. At one point, Daryl said to me, I've never been on a plane. I mean... I've been on a plane for a middle school field trip, but I've never flown on a plane. Wow, you've never flown? No, I'm scared, he said. My cousins joke about slipping something in my drink and stuffing me unconscious on a plane to wake up on a beach somewhere, but I'm on to them. So I said to Daryl, okay, so you 
You'd never get on a plane. Never, he said. And I was like, Daryl, you told me 10 minutes ago that you've been a Cowboys fan since you were a kid and that you're even planning a cross-country trip for the main reason of seeing the Cowboys play at home in Dallas. Yeah, that's right, he said. Well, what if Tony Romo called you today and he said, hey, Daryl, it's Tony Romo. Listen, I'm going to fly you out on a private jet from New York to Dallas and with me It'll be with me and the current Cowboys team as passengers on the plane. So, Daryl, Tony Romo is going to fly you out private from New York to Dallas. There's going to be whiskey, cigars, smoking hot stewardesses, everything on the private jet. And listen, when Tony Romo lands, he says, me and you are going to watch the Cowboys play from the 50-yard line. Would you, if that happened to you, Daryl, I asked him, you know, if Tony Romo flew you out private, everything you know all the works and you get to watch the cowboys play on the 50 yard line but you have to get on the plane from new york to dallas so would you do that daryl smirked and looked back at me through the rear view mirror and said i'd have to think about it i'm glad i got picked up in the lift that day by daryl because i learned a lot about his life and maybe he took something away from what i said I learned from Daryl that fear isn't about facing limitations, it's about expanding your imagination. Once he was presented with a situation in which he could imagine himself on a plane, the fear started to subside almost instantly. Sure, his first flight won't be a cakewalk, but it's a start. Imagine a situation where you're pushing past the limits of your fear and you work backwards from there. And if you can't imagine that situation, smoke some weed or get drunk or fuck and then come back. Come back to it with a fresh mind. Thank you, Daryl. And so, I wrote that after the conversation I had in the ride with Daryl. And I'm grateful for it. I'm, I'm grateful just because, one, it was a fun conversation. I really enjoyed it. And as a podcaster, sometimes I get too wrapped up in, in needing to record conversations for content. And it was nice to have a conversation with someone, you know, that wasn't about getting the next episode or getting more followers, getting views on YouTube, setting up the podcast or anything like that. It was just super organic, happened, flowed naturally. And then at the end of the podcast, or at the end of the conversation, I told Daryl I was recording the whole time, and I will now be posting this on Auxora. <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it was good because it, it, it was fun, it just happened naturally, and, and two, it made me think differently about fear, and the own, the, my own fears that I have, and one of the greatest fears I have is, is being too high and paranoid and anxious on marijuana. And so based on what Daryl had said and based on what we spoke about, he told me first, I am never going to fly. I'm, I'm never going to get on a plane to fly. I'll never be in the air on a plane. And he, he made that clear to me. And then about five minutes later in the conversation, he said, I'd have to think about it. And this was after he was presented with a scenario that forced him to question his own fear. And so I thought about 
creating scenarios for my fears and my perceived limitations and then working backwards from there, like the the scenario I presented to Daryl and it made him question his fear and, you know, maybe he will get on a plane, maybe he'll never get on a plane, but that's not the point. It's, it's, we, we spoke about it and at the end of the conversation, it seemed like he had a little bit of a loosened fear of flight. And so let's take my intense fear of getting too high. You know, I've, I've been in the hospital for a panic attack that, you know, was involved weed. I won't say it was caused by weed because I have my own shit that I need to process, but it, it definitely made the panic more intense. And since then, I, I haven't really been able to enjoy weed at all without an intense paranoia and intense anxiety. It, it, it's always been a very challenging experience. Smoking weed has been a very challenging experience since that panic attack. And for the first two, three years, I didn't have a challenging experience smoking weed. And so I wouldn't change anything that happened, but I would like to get to a place where I can smoke weed and enjoy it again. I don't think I will ever get back to the initial place I was with weed, but I can improve my relationship with it because it was enjoyable it is enjoyable still sometimes even though i'm i take two baby hits every time the joint comes my way because i'm too much of a pussy to take the the big ass bong rips like my naive fucking 19 year old brain taking the milkiest fucking bong rips being passed around in college and, and not even a like a scared thought of where is this going to bring me just just unquestioning just <laughs> fucking blasting off i felt like you know an astronaut not wearing a seatbelt. just fuck it just pass it to me and then one day that all change but i i, I want to get back to a place where I can feel good about my weed consumption, where, where the paranoia doesn't start before I even smoke. And so what, what is a situation where I would get really high? What, what, what's something that would bring me to get really high? If someone gave me a joint right now of that good shit, what's a situation where I would smoke the entire thing, even though it would bring me maybe the most anxiety-ridden experience, anxiety experience of my life? What's something that would make it worth it? And I thought, a podcast with Wiz Khalifa. If I recorded a podcast with Wiz Khalifa, which I would love to, Wiz, if you're a listener, I couldn't not smoke weed with him. It's Wiz Khalifa. I love his music. Weed is part of his creative process. It's, you know, it's just one of those things. You you got to smoke weed with Wiz, just like, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't sit down with the owner of Bullet Bourbon and not drink a glass of whiskey. You, you couldn't, um, you know, sit down with the Marlboro man and not smoke a cigarette. If you're with Wiz Khalifa, you know, weed is such a strong part of who he is. I feel like I'd have to, you know, partake, even though I would not be able to keep up with him, I would be able to I could I could smoke a little bit, get high, um, maybe even get higher than I want to. And then the podcast turns into an awkward silence of Wiz Khalifa interviewing me 
and I'm responding with my silence because I've went to a place in my head where I think I'm speaking, but I'm actually not. But the point is, if, Wiz, if, if I reached out to Wiz Khalifa, if I DM'd him today and I said, yo, you want to hop on a podcast? And he said, fuck yeah, but we got to smoke this fat blunt while we record, while we're, while we're in the jazz of conversation. That's something that would make me smoke a lot of weed for me. It wouldn't be for him, but for me, that would be a lot. Anything more than a couple baby hits. And so that is a situation for me that would cause me to question the limitations of my fear. Because I would say, I can't pass up this opportunity. Wiz said he'll record a podcast with me, but we have to get high as fuck. So I need to figure out a way in which I can do this and then work backwards from there. Just like Daryl recognized that if Tony Romo flew out first class with cigarettes or cigars, strippers and, and whiskey on a private jet that he couldn't turn that down. He'd have to somehow work backwards and get himself to explore being a passenger on a flight. And I'd have to get myself to explore being a passenger on a flight because that is where I would be 30,000 feet in the air when I record a podcast with Wiz Khalifa. So maybe you take something from that, uh, from that story. Um, what are your fears? Write down one fear and then imagine a situation, even if you think it will never fucking happen, 0% chance, not even a 0.001% chance, but a 0% chance, just write it down. Write down the fear and then imagine a situation, write that down and then ask yourself, would that situation force you to confront your fear? And if the answer is yes, then your fear is not absolute. There is something that would cause you to leap into that fear. And if there's something that means it's possible, and it's not a, a cookie cutter solution, it's, it's not even a solution, it's just a thought exercise. But the point is that your fears are not absolute. We, we build our fears into these absolute boxes that imprison us, but they're not the absolutes that we think they are. And, and we can break outside that prison, prison with our, our creativity and our imagination. So speaking of weed, the next thing I wanted to get into is a study about weed and COVID. There's a study that found that cannabis compounds prevent infection by COVID-19. There's an article in Forbes. Oh, yeah. Feel that burp. There's an article in Forbes published January 11th, 2022, titled Study Finds Cannabis Compounds Prevent Infection by COVID-19 Virus. Exciting shit. Let's get into it. So it says, compounds in cannabis can prevent infection from the virus that causes COVID-19 by blocking its entry into cells, according to a study published this week by researchers affiliated with Oregon, Oregon State University. A report on the research cannabinoids block cellular entry of SARS-CoV-2 and emerging variants was published online on Monday by the Journal of Natural Products. The Journal of Natural. The researchers found that two cannabinoid acids commonly found in hemp varietals of cannabis, cannabigerolic acid or CBGA and 
cannabidiolic acid, also known as CBDA, can bind to the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. So the 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 acids, the cannabinoid acids are binding to the COVID-19 virus, the spike proteins, and it says by binding to the spike protein, the compounds can prevent the virus from entering cells and causing infection, potentially offering new avenues to prevent and treat the disease. Orally bioavailable and with a long history of safe human use, these cannabinoids, isolated or in hemp extracts, have the potential to prevent as well as treat infection by SARS-CoV-2, the researchers wrote in the abstract of the study. These cannabinoid acids are abundant in hemp and in many hemp extracts, Van Bremen said, as quoted by local media. They are not controlled substances like THC, the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana, and they have a good safety profile in humans. So... What it sounds like is that these compounds, these cannabinoid compounds, have the ability to, you know, they, they bind to the spike protein and they do their science thing that, you know, go go read the study. I have not read the study, but if you want the scientific explanation of how it works, it's in the Journal of Natural Products. But these cannabinoid, these cannabinoid, these cannabinoid compounds cannabinoid compounds are binding to the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2 and somehow magically, scientifically, um, in ways that I can't explain, are preventing infection by... The virus, COVID-19, which has been plaguing our planet for the past two years. And shout out to the researchers, uh, the research team that did this because God fucking damn, that is exciting. That is amazing. And to have something like this to come from cannabis, to come from a plant that for so long has been demonized, has been shot down has been painted as you know back in the 60s and 70s and and even still in some forms today is this thing that just drives you crazy this this maddening substance that will lead you down to the depths of hell if you smoke it once it's the gateway drug which to me has not been true at all i've never been on weed i've never smoked weed and have tried a new drug. I have smoked weed on drugs that I took first. But it's never been a gateway drug. I've never smoked weed and then have thought about taking other drugs. Because it kind of just like sits you in that place. And it humbles you. And you know for me it makes me think. You know this is all I need. I'm, I'm chill. I'm here. Maybe I'm anxious. Maybe I'm paranoid. But I don't feel like taking more drugs. The, the biggest gateway drug for me is alcohol by far. All of the new drugs that I've tried, molly, cocaine, um, weed, Adderall, have all been under the influence of alcohol the first time. Alcohol is the biggest gateway drug for me. You know, maybe your experience is different. And it's also the most legal. So 
why is that something that has happened? Why is weed illegal? Or it's, it's, it's becoming more legal, but it has a long history of being demonized for reasons that don't actually have to do with the drug itself and the effects it has. Because, you know, alcohol is much more poisonous, leads to many more overdoses, deaths um, than weed ever has or ever will. But again, it's amazing. It's amazing that the, the plant that was demonized, marijuana, and a plant that is responsible for, for people today that are still spending time in prison, wasting away, rotting away, spending their lives in prison because of archaic laws that we talked about with Elon, Elon Musk, laws that have not been garbage collected. This plant that people are sitting in prison um, for smoking and selling contains compounds that will save people's lives today. Think about that. There are people right now that are there are hundreds and thousands of people sitting in prison in the United States for selling a drug that is now saving people's lives or will save people's lives. And it's going to save people's lives in the biggest disruption economically, emotionally, physically in my lifetime, in most people's lifetime, which is the COVID-19 pandemic. And if we did have garbage collection laws, if we did have a better garbage collection system of laws in the United States, which we should have, maybe we'll have to wait till we launch into Mars. I don't know. But if we had a better system... When we have laws that are changed, you know, federally, I believe marijuana is still illegal technically, but more and more states are making it legal. You can go to a bunch of states now and buy weed in a bakery, basically, a bakery for weed where you can select your concentration level, what you want to take it, how you want to take it, brownies, oils, flour, all this stuff. You could walk in and buy it in the super legal, um, you know, kind of bougie, um, you know, coffee shop bakery experience. And when those laws are applied that make weed legal, we should have a garbage collection system of laws that automatically frees the people who are in prison for breaking the laws that no longer exist. Doesn't that make sense? If you were put in prison for a law that is no longer being upheld or has been severely diminished, your sentence should follow suit. It should at least be reduced drastically or thrown away entirely. And you should be compensated for the time that you spent in prison breaking a law that never should have been put in place in the first place, that, that was put in place... Um, from corporations who had an agenda that didn't want to see weed legal, that, that were running campaigns against marijuana that weren't even based on harm to the individual or harm to society, but on how to make a profit selling other things, selling prescription drugs um, that you'd have to take every day and get people addicted to that. But instead, you know, marijuana was made illegal. 
And yeah, again, this study is amazing. And and I hope that cannabis is used to help save people from COVID-19. It's already helping a lot of people with um, other disorders, um, you know, anxiety, depression, PTSD. And it would be amazing. It's Cannabis is an amazing plant, and it doesn't surprise me that there's a compound in cannabis that would help save people from COVID-19. And it's, it's hopeful, and it's, and it's beautiful, but it's also dark because there are people whose lives have been thrown away for either selling or using this plant when we still had archaic laws in place. Like that to me blows my mind that there's someone sitting in a, you know, a 10 by 10 prison cell right now for selling a substance that we are studying that can possibly have, you know, thousands or or millions of lives saved in this pandemic and, you know, or treatments, pills, um, you know, IV drips, you know, smoking. I I don't know. However, people are going to take these compounds, but people are, you know, their lives are being lost right now from this amazing drug that probably should have never been illegal in the first place. And so that's, you know, that's where my mind went when I read about this study. It's amazing that we're being able to use cannabis and it's an amazing plant in amazing ways being used for so many different things in life. It's like a kaleidoscope of a plant. You, you just look through the, the cannabis plant and all these different fucking great things are popping through the the kaleidoscope where it's, you know, anxiety disorder, depression, um, PTSD, COVID-19 treatment. It's like you just flash the light through cannabis and it has dozens of these different applications for millions of individuals. And there are individuals that are still sitting in a cell for selling that drug illegally. So I, I don't... That's another another pro of why we need better garbage collection system of laws is because once a law becomes archaic, once a law is outdated, people should be automatically released like just a, a system. Oh, the, the law you broke no longer applies. You're now released from prison today. Here's your compensation. Sorry for locking you up. We fucked up. Bam. You know. And we move on. It's not perfect, but... It at least gives people some some closure. So the last thing I want to talk about is Bob Saget. So I got the news from uh, my girlfriend that Bob Saget passed away. And, you know, she knows I'm a huge fan of comedy. I, I always watch comedy on my lunch breaks. I'll, I'll watch, I'll search, you know, Comedy Central roasts in the YouTube search bar and I'll just watch what comes up. And, and Bob Saget has been on, he's been on those. I've, I've seen clips of his online. I've seen his, his specials and... Yeah, it, it's uh, it's sad, and I, I wanted to talk about w- what 
Bob Saget and, and who Bob Saget was to me. Because a lot of times celebrities pass away and, and people say that it's sad and it is and I'm not taking away anything from those people but the every Bob Saget was only Bob Saget but he meant something different to everyone who experienced his comedy his art because that's what happens when you get super well known is that your work gets filtered through a prism of people's minds and it means a different thing to each person and so I wanted to talk about the small slice of the Bob Saget prism um, that, you know, the small slice of my experience and, and, you know, there are millions of people who experience Bob Saget. So take this for what you will. This is just me. And I, and I wanted to talk about how I saw him and how I viewed him and, and what he, what he meant as a, as a comic and, and a creative and you know, the person that I saw, I never met, but I, I saw him interact on interviews and, and comedy specials, Full House. And so to me, Bob Saget is a beacon of duality. He, he was Full House America's dad. You know, he played a sitcom character that was broadcast to millions of television sets per week and and I would watch Full House with my mom often sitting on the couch in the morning before school. Full House, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air were two of my favorites and he was America's dad and that's how I knew him for years until I was a teenager in high school, probably 11th or 12th grade. I started to discover his comedy and realized how incredibly dirty and creative he is as a stand-up comedian. And he did it all with what seems like enormous amounts of kindness. Whenever I saw him in an interview or whenever I saw people talk about him or whenever I saw people roast him, he always seemed like he was enjoying himself. And and he seemed like he genuinely was having a good time. He cared about people. And, And again, I don't know Bob Saget personally. I have never met him. I've you know, I've read a conversation, would have loved to, but I'm just speaking purely as a third party outside observer who is watching things that are publicly available. And and to me, there's enough out there on Bob Saget to say that he seemed like a very kind, warm hearted person, that he was a blend of this kind of dad persona but also this this dirty comedic mind that came together in a way that brought people a lot of joy and it brought me a lot of joy and he is someone that gives me more confidence in my own pursuit, which is podcasting, in my own creative pursuit. Because a lot of times, um, you know, especially as a creative, I feel like I have to be one way. I have to do the thing that is working. That a podcast, you know, I'm, I'm figuring out the way to be. I have to be serious. I have to be funny. 
I have to be seriously funny or, you know, humorously serious, sad, dark, beautiful, twisted, happy. I don't know. But I'm always trying to figure out this way to be as a creative. And Bob Saget was a symbol to me, a creative symbol that you don't have to be just one way. You can be known for different types of creativity. You can be America's dad and a filthy fucking comedian on stage and be unapologetic about it. And those two might actually feed off of each other, that people want to see you be dirty because they're, they, grow, they grew up seeing you you know, as the dad to Michelle Tanner that's giving this fatherly advice and then he's talking about, you know, fucking the Olsen twins on stage and and I loved it. And to me, it gave me more confidence in accepting myself as a podcaster, however my journey ends up, however my journey goes along, that, that I don't have to just be one way. I don't, I'm not a comedian, so my my main goal is not to be funny, but I do enjoy tr- like finding humor in things. But then again, I also like finding the depth in things and you know, exploring deeper topics or sad topics or um, tragic topics, happy topics. And just because people liked an episode that was particularly funny or they thought it was funny that doesn't mean I can't then turn around and, and record a darker episode and, and it's okay to you know not try to be funny to, to let things flow naturally and to me that's how Bob Saget has influenced my life it, it seemed like he let things flow naturally it, it didn't seem forced when he was being dirty, it didn't seem forced when he was on full house. It seemed like those were both him and they're both aspects of him. He, he was, he, he did retain a father figureness to him on stage as a dirty comic. And, you know, I'm sure on the set of full house behind the scenes, he was making fucking dirty jokes with John Stamos and then kids on set and, you know, having a good time. And he was doing a job for both things. But yeah, he's a guy that, to me, and to millions of people, you know, he had multiple sides of him that sh- that shone equally. They, they, they shine to the world both brightly and they both enhanced each other. It didn't take away from his full house performance that he was a dirty comic and a dirty mind and it didn't take away from his um comedy the fact that he was america's dad and i you know am and in my own egotistical you know which podcasting can become very egotistical because you're, you're talking all the time and, and you have to spend time to think and step back from it and just listen listen listening is the most important thing which is ironic because i'm i've just been talking for 56 minutes and 10 seconds on a solo podcast but listening to people and, and sitting in silence is a huge part of podcasting and that is when i'm faced with the reality of who i am as a person and a podcaster 
And I don't have to just be one way. And so to me, Bob Saget is a symbol of going against the box of creativity that creatives often get put in by executives and people in business and marketing and, and creatives often put themselves in that own box. It's a, you build the prison first yourself and then other people see the prison you've built and then they try to add to it. They try to lock it in. You know, you're the funny guy. You're the sad guy. You're, you're the guy that makes, you know, jokes about dead people. You're the, like whoever the fuck you are and you build it you build that prison based on your perception of yourself and the, this perception of a way that you have to be that doesn't actually exist. It just exists in your mind and it exists in other people's minds. But you could really do whatever the fuck you want. And so that is how Bob Saget entered the prism of my mind and expanded into my consciousness. And that's how I remember him. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for Bob Saget. I'm grateful for you guys for listening to this podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've listened to 58 minutes of this podcast, you're fucking psycho and I fucking love you. And if you'd like extra episodes, you can go to auxoro.supercast.com where I drop two bonus episodes every month. And you get that for less than five bucks a month when you sign up for the year. And right now there's over 25 hours of archived bonus episodes. So you get the two bonus episodes per month going forward and you also get all the archives. You can also submit topics and suggestions. Right now I am reading off of, um, or I have notes in front of me for this podcast and many of these notes and past notes come from suggestions that I get from people on Supercast. So go to auxoro.supercast.com if you want bonus episodes and you want to be part of the show. And also, if you can't afford it, that's fine, too. You can still support the show in other ways by subscribing to the YouTube channel at Auxoro. You can hit us up on Instagram, leave a comment and a rating on Apple Podcasts. That helps us out a lot. And, and thank you so much for tuning in. I love you guys. I'm grateful. Um, I wouldn't be able to do this um, without an audience because then I'd just be fucking talking to myself, which isn't as fun. It can still be fun. It's not as fun. And I'll see you guys next time.